This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wongal people and the Yagara Turrbal peoples. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Strap in. Buckle up. It's story time, folks. This is Australiana Rama. Morning. This episode includes the names of some Aboriginal people who have passed away, and they're all from all from the time of like early invasion, so 1790s through to the early 1800s. And there's also a brief mention of violence against Aboriginal people around that time, invasion, early colonisation. There's also some mild swear words. Hey Jess. Hey Maddie. It's your turn. It is my turn. Um, <laughs> I've done a bunch of research and I actually really, I really enjoyed my research. That's good. It you was sound surprised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I always do. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Great. I did in particular. Um, have you ever heard of Patagarang? Only when you mentioned the mm. other day. Yeah. Because she also hadn't come across my desk no. um, because she was... Alive around the 1780s, 1790s. Yeah, before my time. Mm, before my time as well. And when I was in primary school, we learnt about, you know, the first fleet. Oh, yeah. Mm. Those guys. Yeah. So it was very colonial. Mm. Um, so this cool story did not actually come up. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think, I mean, we'll just dive into it. Great. Because um, Patagarang was most likely a Camaragal woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like North Sydney, so north north of the bridge, lovely part of the harbour. Um, and she would have been alive around the 1780s, 1790s. Like she was about 15 years old or so, we think, around 1790. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the, all these sorts of things, like the, the things that were written down were, you know, the col- colonisers. Yeah. Um, but this is like a rare kind of almost primary source of her actual words being recorded Mm -hmm. because she taught someone her language. Mm -hmm. And so it's him writing it down, but it is snippets of their conversation. So it's one of the closest things that we have of like invasion time, a woman Mm. saying words, which Mm -hmm. is cool. But yes, so we don't know too much about her other than where she was likely from and that her name means grey kangaroo. All right, so for context, around 1788, the first fleet rocking up, invading, going to start a settlement, Mm -hmm. Sydney Cove, you know, the whole shebang. Um, And she's, you know, in her early teens at that point, living her life, we assume, having a great time. Um, and then the first fleet arrives and one of the people on the boat was a man named William Dawes. Yep. He would have been in his mid-twenties. He was like an enlisted Marine who'd like been fighting in the American Revolution and stuff. Like, sure. It's one of those weird things where you've had a very long life, when, but you're only 20. Um, so, yeah, so he's a, a Marine who's been enlisted. He's volunteered. He's on, on the boat. Mm-hmm coming on over and he's an astronomer a cartographer a linguist and later in his life an abolitionist 
Yeah, so he's an astronomer and he sets up an observatory on the harbour in a spot that's now known as Dawes Point, but it's the south end of where the Sydney Harbour Bridge is, so that bit of the harbour. Uh, yeah. Down Circular yep. Quay. Um, and so he that's kind of out of the main settlement. So he was spending most of his time like a bit away from the rest of the settlement in a relatively isolated hut. And from this, we eventually get like the only known first-hand account of the Darug language. Um, and it's one of the earliest recorded cultural ex- exchanges between European colonizers and Aboriginal people. She's really cool. Okay, so we know from history that at some point between 1788 and 1790, so in like those kind of three years, Pettigrang has met William Dawes somehow. Mm. Yeah. And but earlier, early in that time, he would have started to learn the lang- local language from people like Benelong and Arabanu mm-hmm. um, when they were being held captive by Governor Arthur Philip. Mm. And it's interesting, you can like reading, there's so many different accounts of these sort of things, especially about Benelong. And often he's depicted as being befriended by Philip. Um, yeah. And while they may have become friendlier over time, Benelong was captured and held yeah. hostage multiple occasions in the same way that that's how we met you know yeah. <laughs> i trapped you and held you hostage and mm. then over time you were like yeah sure let's make a podcast yeah exactly not much, to make light much like of the that. situation but uh no it wasn't like they were just like come over for tea it's like yeah. no no we've <laughs> captured this man yeah yeah um, that's important to note yeah and well benelong is also fascinating and so that's benelong is one of pedigree's contemporaries they would have come they would have known each other um, although they are from different different groups, he's a bigical man, but they they were aware of each other. Okay, so at, so that this is all happening. Mm. So that's where he's William Dawes has started to pick up some language from these men, um, but most Aboriginal people at the time wouldn't set foot in the European settlement. And fair enough. Yeah. Um, so for Pattergrang to have bonded with William Dawes is a big deal. Um, and there's no kind of documentation of her being captured, which doesn't mean it didn't happen, but it does seem like they actually did have a friendship somehow. Because mm. basically William Dawes kept a series of really detailed notebooks, um, which have been critical to the reconstruction now of the Darug language. And mm. where previously colonizers had noted like occasional words and stuff, his notebooks have phrases and conversational snippets and like yeah. details of daily life. Yeah. So there's a lot more context yeah. as well. And so it'll be like something written down with a translation and it's like he'll have like a little note of Pateroring say this in response to blah, blah, blah. Um, and so while she is teaching him her language and she had been learning English, mm. um, there's a really good article in the ABC which said like that his notebooks clearly show that he and Pateroring spent time in each other's company and shared emotion, humour, intellectual discussions and mutual respect. Um, and so good articles got info from two really cool researchers. One is called Melissa Jackson, and she's the Indigenous Services Librarian and Researcher at the New South Wales State Library. Mm-hmm. Um, and she points out that like he would have he's interacted with many people. It was clearly her that he spent most of his time with. 
Yeah, and so she says, Melissa Jackson says, she not only shared the Sydney language with Dawes in context, but she learned English in a way that influenced Dawes in his dealings with authority and his refusal to participate in punitive actions taken against Aboriginal people and family groups. Yeah, right. And this definitely led to him being sent back to England, which I will come back to. And so all these notebooks, they are like online, which is really cool. And some examples of the kinds of phrases like there's some like one which means to warm one's hand by the fire and then to gently squeeze the fingers of another person so Mm. she taught him that phrase which you know does imply that they're friendly um other things being like i made a mistake in speaking or why don't you sleep why do you not drink we shall sleep separately are all like included and oh at one point he's like i shall not become white that is something that she has said in and it seems like in some of these things that like she is kind of teasing him and he's he's written like he asks why she doesn't speak english and she replies that she doesn't need to yeah and she's right yeah and yeah and there are references to the fact that the local people disapproved of their land being invaded and were afraid of guns yeah so that's a primary source yeah which is not a surprise but to have it on the record Mm. yeah yeah i just didn't know that these this that this kind of document existed um, but outside of his notebooks, we don't know much about Patagrain. Um, But this is the early years of invasion. It's the beginning of the frontier wars and her people were being killed and dying of new diseases. Yeah. And she's gone in and she's teaching this man her language and way of life. Yeah. And like 15, 16, I think that's, you know, it's wild. Like it's extraordinarily courageous. Yeah. Most 15 year olds, are. Mm. <laughs> what are they doing? I don't know. Not that. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and so around this time, there were at least 250 distinct Aboriginal languages in use. And today, all but 13 are categorised as highly endangered yeah. or lost. Um, again, from the ABC, there's the Director of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Research at the University of Sydney. Her name's Professor Jacqueline Troy. She's spent three decades reconstructing Aboriginal languages from the Sydney area and says, like, Patagrang's interactions have been the you know vital to the survival and the reconstruction of the language so it's just it's the first notes they have that have like you know some grammar and yeah. things rather than just like lists of words this is just the words yeah, yeah. like there's there's context yeah and so it's really important like she's the you know the first i guess linguist because mm. she's teaching which is very yeah through through the lens of colonization exactly yeah yeah um yeah so they all kind of refer to as a treasure trove of source material for reviving the language um but yeah so he was an astronomer Mm. and patagoring she was also an astronomer um it's really something to talk about yeah so it just it seems just like because some i mean some people like you can't say whether or not they had a romantic relationship the notes don't indicate that no it seems more likely that it is just two nerds yeah learning languages yeah talking about the stars we've all been there (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah and so they're like shared interest is like they you know she shared all the the terminology with him um and there's two irregular dwarf galaxies I've learned this. They're called the, it would be like Magellan, Mm -hmm. Magellanic clouds. Mm -hmm. 
There are two dwarf galaxies called that, Magellanic Clouds, and they're only visible in the southern sky, like yeah. orbiting the Milky Way. Um, and Aboriginal people, but also other First Nations cultures in the southern hemisphere have kind of recorded their movements forever. And Patagrang's vocabulary includes words for these things, which are relatively obscure, mm. um, like the two two different clouds and the different parts of them. Mm. Yeah, so like her knowledge of the night sky yeah. was much more detailed than his. Yeah, it would have been because they would have come from the northern hemisphere yeah. to a completely different mm. sky almost. Yeah, and so there's like, well, I mean, ur- urban density and like light pollution, you can't see all these things as well. So it also has, you know, written down what the sky would have looked like at that time, like because of keywords and phrases and how she describes things. Yeah, I was just, this has reminded me of a documentary, which I've just looked up to check. This has reminded me of a documentary mm. called We Don't Need a Map, mm-hmm. which was about, came out in 2017, I think, which was about the yeah Indigenous kind of First Nations perspective of astrology pre-colonization and it's really interesting that they talk about um what we call the southern cross Mm. and how it was you know it's had multiple different names multiple different languages in you know so-called australia Mm. before colonization and how it's like the significant star cluster used for navigation but also storytelling Mm. and then you know it's become this racist icon Mm. as well just on a tangent but it reminded me of this documentary that yeah, it came out a few years ago cool. in relation to this kind of history. Which what's, is really it, what's it called? We Don't Need a Map. Cool. Yeah. All right. Add it to my list. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting because there's all the things where like highways following constellations because of yeah. song lines. Um, yeah. Which is cool. Yeah, the Min Min Highway as well. Like, mm. yeah, this, it's really interesting when you actually, when you start to break down like the post-colonization routes of travel especially out west and in the Mm. outback and how they so often actually do align with what was there before as routes of travel and how the stars were used Mm. to navigate those it's pretty cool yeah because all the you know the colonizers building the highways would bring a friend that they had captured along (laughs) to show them where to go yeah yeah so it's like this like weird awful history but Mm. also history kind of beyond our comprehension i suppose it's fascinating yeah yeah so patagrang really was a part of that i suppose cool yeah um and yeah and for you know this young woman to be going into these into this situation like she wouldn't have just been doing that on her own you know she's Mm. going from her community and back to it Mm. Mm. you know it's all because at this sort of time it's like people making a an effort to figure out what was going on with the people who had arrived, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. But, yeah, so Dawes was his, a Marine, so he was on a contract essentially and was meant to be shipped off elsewhere but had applied to stay. Yeah. Um, and he was offered a position as an engineer and he could only stay if he apologised to Governor Arthur Phillip for two separate incidents. Oh, God. Um, apparently he had purchased flour from a convict during a food shortage, but they weren't allowed to sell their rations, apparently. Um, The greatest crime one could commit. But Dawes was like, that's ridiculous. 
yeah. Arthur Philip get over it. No, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Um, <laughs> he's like, you drop kick. That's his property. He can sell it, mate. Yeah. Um, so he wouldn't apologize for that. Um, the other thing was more serious and more historically important. Um, so in December 1790, mm-hmm. um, British gamekeeper John McIntyre was thought by many to not just be hunting animals, but hunting Aboriginal people as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, McIntyre denied this, but multiple sources, including Dawes and his friend Watkin Tench, who was also like a lieutenant and wrote a lot about invasion and early colonisation, they both were just like, nah, that's bullshit. He's been doing it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they wrote that down. Yeah. And Tench in particular notes how Benelong and other local people reacted to McIntyre yeah. as evidence. They're like, no, they are, they are scared, scared of him, him and violent towards him. Yeah. Um, and there, yeah, so both are like, like, he's got good good reason. While out on a shooting expedition, McIntyre was reportedly speared by Pemelwoy or Pemelway. Some people say it differently. I'm going to say Pemelwoy. Um, but he was a renowned Bidjigal warrior mm. um, who was mm. a key figure in the resistance against colonisation during the early years of the Frontier Wars. Really, really interesting. Um, and again, there's a whole episode about yeah. this man. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so he speared this man who was hunting his people. Yep. Um, and power to him. But when McIntyre died, Governor Arthur Phillip ordered Tench to assemble the Marines, including Dawes, and to go on what is referred to as a punitive mission. Yeah. Phillip's orders were for two Bidjigal people to be captured and ten killed. The Marines were told to bring their heads back to the settlement. Oh, um, so absurd Mm. like it's just beyond comprehension like that tit for tat but even beyond that Mm. mentality yeah like yeah um and there are yeah this isn't this isn't the only time that this sort of thing happened um and there are unidentified remains of thousands of aboriginal people just in british museums alone Yeah. yeah Um, but yeah, so those were Arthur Phillips' orders. Um, Dawes flat out refused to participate and was arrested. Tench suggested that instead they capture six people and kill no one, um, which Philip did accept. And mm-hmm. Dawes was then spoken to by the Reverend and agreed to go. This expedition searched for three days but couldn't manage to find any Bidjigal people. Mm-hmm. Um, and William Dawes again pissed off pissed off Philip by stating publicly that he was sorry that he had been persuaded to comply with the order. Yeah. So this whole incident is what William Dawes refused to apologize for. Yeah. Um and the buying flower. And because he refused, he was sent back to Britain. Um and he did apply multiple times to return but was never allowed back. So he never came back. No, he was never allowed back to mm. Australia. Yeah. And that, that whole thing is pretty – it's well documented because, like, Dawes wrote about it and what Tench wrote about it. Um, it's interesting seeing how all the different <clears> – <throat> like, the colonisers write about each other. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Ugh. But, like, William Dawes definitely and definitely an outsider kind of by all accounts. Yeah. And because, you know, he was deported and – he was the only one who had any kind of relationship with Patagorang. We have nothing. Once he's gone, there's no other record of her. Yeah, it just ceases. Um, 
Yeah. And so we do know we know a bit more about William Dawes, of course. He he did a bit more colonialism, was the governor of Sierra Leone for a while, but then got super religious and became an abolitionist, spending most of his later years building schools for the children of slaves in the Caribbean. Yeah, right. Um, he's a pretty good dude for the time. Like, yeah. It seems like he was genuinely interested in the stars and learning about Patagorang and her life. And because of his notebooks, we know about her. But her his notebooks were lost for ages since he spent a lot of his time pissing off Arthur Phillip and then becoming a volunteer abolitionist and therefore <laughs> poor. Um, he didn't have a high profile or any money. Yeah. But these notebooks were rediscovered, like in the basement at the University of London in the School of Oriental and African Studies, oh, which is still God. called that. Yeah. Still called that. I mean, it's the yeah. SOAS now, but it's just like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, so that's where they ended up. Museums are problematic. Mm. And well, because he would have had other notebooks because he was living in Africa for a while, but yeah. also these notebooks just ended up there. Yeah. And they've just not even... It just shows that, mm. like, the lack of cultural significance yeah. bestowed upon them through the eyes of the mm. British by them, like, being completely forgotten and I mean, yeah. presumably chucked in a drawer mm. or file somewhere. Yeah, until 1972. Oh, it's too recent. When Australian librarian Phyllis Manda-Jones, yep. who was working there, yep. rediscovered them. And she's kind of the perfect lady to have found them. She's also very interesting. She's a librarian and an archivist. So she essentially pioneered the archival profession in Australia. Yeah. Cool. So she found the books and she's kept them and she's she archived went, them. That's she's, important. Yeah, exactly. Um, and according to the Dictionary of Biography, like the bio about her, she says she became well informed about the history of the book mm. in her studies, like the books, just the concept oh, yes. of the book. <laughs> yes. I she knows a lot about the history of the book. Yep. That's, okay, Phyllis. Sure. Good on it. Yeah, so she made you know, the archives pretty much. She didn't choose, work, worked in the UK for a bit and then came back to yeah. Australia. Um, her great-grandfather was David Jones, as in the department store, oh. um, and her grandpa was William Arnott, as in the biscuit. Oh, God, what a family. Mm. And she it's noted that she never married and yeah. is described as a skilled artist and adventurer, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. that says a lot about. I'm raising my time. gay eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to look. No. We don't know. Mm. However. I would also describe myself. <laughs> As an artist and an adventurer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't so want to maybe, spread rumors. Mm, exactly. But she's mm. she's maybe someone to swing back to. Well. But yeah, so we don't we don't know much about Patagreen before she met Dawes or after. because um, he was never allowed to return. But what we can tell from this stuff is that she was obviously an amazingly brave and intelligent woman and like a fierce advocate of her people and culture. And, like, with the expanding settlement, continued fighting and spread of disease, it's likely her life would have become a lot more difficult around that time. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can't imagine that it would have been no. the happiest ending, hey? Hopefully she lived to a ripe old age among her people. Um, but it is unlikely and we'll never know. But, like, her commitment to educating this man is an amazing gift and it's cool that it wasn't lost completely and though it almost was. Mm. Um, Do you know if the books have been brought 
to Australia? They are in the UK. Yeah. But they are, if you go, you can access them online. Yeah. And you can see them in like digital form, I think, if you go into certain libraries. Yeah. Like I know they were written by British men, so mm. it's not repatriation in the sense of like remains or artifacts, but in some way there is an argument for repatriation, right? Where it's like, oh, this yeah. is the language. It would, they, they <laughs> it's the would only, be... one of the only like written mm. documents of this language. And that is so valuable. Yeah. And well, that's what the know. language has kind of been reconstructed from yeah. in a large way. It would be really cool. Well, things like, like Pemel, Pemelwoy, his, his skull is yeah. suspected to be somewhere in a museum in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Along with thousands of others. Lots and lots, um, yeah. Yeah. So there's lots of things that shouldn't be in the museums that mm. still are. But yeah, Bangara Dance did a production called Patagrang and about Patagrang in 2015 for their 25th anniversary year, um, which brought her more to more people, like to a wider audience. So she's a bit more widely known alongside like other historical figures of the yeah, time, yeah. like Benelong or Barangaroo and Pemawoy, yeah. uh, which is cool, but it's still like people know more about Captain Cook. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, she's like, the astronomy stuff is really cool. And like, I can't imagine, I can't learn a language. Imagine teaching someone a language, <sighs> you know? Teaching someone a language when you don't know each other's language is also mm. an entirely different thing to like you or me being like we're gonna learn french because we're going on a holiday yeah like it's it yeah it always blows my mind that humans have been able to do that because mm. and, over. and but especially in the context of oh, horrible genocide and all of the th- horrible things that were happening around them mm. you know that she's preserved yeah. yeah and it's all just like like every day sort of phrases so that yep. you know going about your daily life and then you're kind of writing the things down um i guess you'd have to just compare i, I can't imagine i don't know no. if anyone's done it mm. let me know yeah Ugh. so wild but yeah well i mean this episode will come out a week after nadoc week i noticed yeah. but we do live on stolen land every week of the year yeah. Um, so nothing's stopping us from engaging with the theme. Um, this year's theme is Heal Country. Yeah. Um, if you check out the NADOC website, they've got a bunch of great resources and there's cool content on SBS at the moment as well and everywhere, really, if you look. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, if you have a look, I'll go through my sources, but in particular, the notebooks of William Dawes. Like if you just type that in, yeah, there's a whole website which just has all it all catalogued which is interesting. Um, I also got information from the ABC, The Guardian, The Sydney Morning Herald, The Powerhouse Museum of Applied Arts and Science, The Australian Dictionary of Biography and Wikipedia. Great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. You're welcome. I'm glad I figured it out. And because I only – it sucks. I wish I wish I learnt more things earlier in my life. Um, yeah. Because I was literally – I was looking up – um, just the Camaragal people for something else. And I was like, oh, who were the other Camaragal people? And she came up and I was like, oh, who's this? Mm-hmm. And here we are. Well, next week, we're going to dive into the history of Australia Post. Woo! Yeah. Um, people who know me know that I like sending mail. <laughs> I like Australia Post. <laughs> I'm doing it just for you, yeah, Jessica. I do send yeah. sometimes 
anonymous collages. Mm. I think people will be surprised at the um, political significance and the ongoing dramas and scandals Mm. that have unfolded around OzPost. Interesting. All right. History of Australia Post. Yep. Keen Bean. 